truly blessed me. Um, so we, over the past few weeks, um, we've been doing this series called We Are at War. And, and uh, we've been going through the armor of God, and we've been looking at Ephesians 6, where Paul is telling us the importance of putting on the armor of God. Uh, each week, we've looked at a different piece of the armor. Uh, we've been doing all this because I've saw over the past few years, especially since like COVID, um, we are in a spiritual battle. Um, we, the spiritual war has really ramped up. Uh, it, it feels like the attacks have gotten harder and harder, and the flaming arrows that Jared talked about last week have become more consistent and more relentless uh, in, in their assault. It's been an assault on families, an assault on children, an assault on marriage, an assault on the church, and, and even an assault on our ability to just live freely as Christians in this place. And at the belly of it is sin and Satan. He uses culture, busy schedules, youth sports, sports in general, politics, money, and many, many other things uh, to launch his attack against us. He's trying to normalize sin so that we don't even notice that it happens. And so we're, we're, we're talking, and, and we really said, and we really mean this, we are at war. And it's eternity that's at stake. It's eternity for us, it's eternity for our kids, for our neighbors. Uh, eternity is what we are fighting for. Here we believe that when we step out in faith, big things happen. Uh, here at this place, we believe that when we step out in faith, that, that mountains move. Uh, this is where transformation takes place. This is where growth happens. Uh, I look back over my life and the places where the most growth has happened is when I said yes to God, no matter what the cost would be. But when we do that, when we do take that step for God, it's when the evil one starts to consider us. Listen, there is a battle going on. I'm talking about a spiritual battle. It's not one that's on the news. It's not one that's going to be covered by, by any program. But it is a battle. There is a battle going on. And there's an evil one out there, and he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants us to turn from the Lord. And sometimes he does a good job at distracting us and getting us to do that. But the good news is this. We have a God who is bigger. We have a Savior who is more powerful. So this is not to make you worry or to make you afraid at all. This is a call to attention. So that we can live in, in, in line with the one who truly saves. With the one who truly empowers. And with the one who truly gives us our identity. It's a call to look for the purpose that's in our life. It's a call to come to Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about this next piece of armor. This helmet of salvation. But I want to get a run and go at this verse. Because it's just one verse. And really it's not even the whole verse. It's just part of the verse. That tells us about the helmet of salvation. So we're going to start in Ephesians 6 at verse 13 and get a run and go at it. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. 
Stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then today's verse. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so the sword of the Spirit, Jared is going to talk about next week. Today we're just going to kind of focus in on that helmet of salvation. And if you've missed any of these other ones, I, I recommend that you go back and, and, and find them on YouTube or Facebook. You can go to Faith Life Podcast on YouTube and, and, and be able to find those because I think it's, it's critically important for us to learn to put on this armor of God. So let's look at the helmet of salvation. And I love how Paul says this. He says, put it on. He's saying you have a choice here. Uh, you, can, you can put it on or you can choose to not put it on. It's up to you. It's an offer, and you're able to put it on, and it's only because the Lord has done a mighty work on your behalf, on my behalf, on our behalf, that we have the ability to be able to put on this helmet of salvation, but it is a choice. We have 100% free choice to put it on or not. It is my prayer that every person who hears this, who reads this scripture, or whoever finds this message, maybe in the future, um, that they will. And want to put on this helmet of salvation. I'm praying that there may be people here for the very first time who decides, who says, I'm going to step into this security of this helmet of salvation. And I'm also praying that those who maybe have been walking with the Lord for a really long time, that they'll find this as a time of recommitment, a place of renewed excitement, and the ability to remember the covenant that you entered into when you put on that helmet of salvation that our minds would be renewed, that we would be refocused, and that things that matter the most become to the forefront of our minds. And so I love it when Paul says, put it on. This is your choice. Think back to when I was younger. Um, I had a, uh, one of my uncles, my mom's uh, next youngest brother, Michael Dwayne. Uh, he kept his motorcycle at our house in Elkhorn City as I was growing up. And he would ride his Harley-Davidson. He'd take uh, road trips with his friends and, and do all those things. And, man, I thought he was the coolest thing ever, you know. Here he was, show up with his leather chaps and everything, put this on, you know. Uh, he was so cool. But my mom, whenever he would, he started at our house, so he'd come. But whenever he'd come out to get on his motorcycle, she'd run outside. She'd say, now, Michael Dwayne, you be sure you put on your helmet, right? And she'd make sure he had it with him. So one day we were walking down to the store. We were just walking through town, and uh, Michael Dwayne went riding by. No helmet. Right? You can imagine uh, the excitement my mother had. Right? But I was like, I don't know, you know. But, but he went riding by, no helmet. But the one thing he did have was it was strapped onto the back of his seat. <laughs> I think my mom's head popped, you know. <laughs> But you, but, but you can imagine, I mean, me as a 10-year-old, right, I was just glad I wasn't in trouble. But, but, but think about it. He had this helmet available to him. And it was a different time then, and people didn't wear helmets like they do now. But, but, but she found it important that he would put this on. But he had this helmet that was available to him, but he chose to not put it on. Today we have a helmet, and it's being offered to you 
It's on the table for every single person alive. You have the offer of this helmet. And, and still, there are so many people who walk around this earth and choose to not take it up and put it on. I think how reckless could that be when such a great price, a great grace, a great mercy has been offered to us. Such great love has been poured out when forgiveness has been offered, when the presence of God has been offered to every single person, but yet we travel without it. I want to encourage us to put on the helmet that's already been paid for. I want to encourage you, encourage us to put on the helmet that's been offered completely out of grace. Paul says, put on salvation. And that's what this is going to be about. It's going to be about salvation, not necessarily about a helmet. Okay, the helmet's going to provide the image, but salvation is what's going to be at the core. Put on salvation as your helmet. I want to take a, just a little bit of time, and we're going to talk about that word salvation, the idea of salvation, this free gift of salvation. Because I know for a lot of people, you've, you've been asked, or maybe you've heard this question, are you saved? And for at least some of you, a lot goes through your mind. What does that even mean, you know? I think we can learn a lot of wrong meanings of this word salvation. And so what does it mean to be saved? I think there's a lot of questions that we have to ask about this. And I want to try to answer as many as I can. Because I want those of you who have never given your life to Jesus to understand what the Lord is calling you to. So that you can make a good decision. Salvation, or, or to be saved, means to be delivered or rescued from danger, destruction, or distress. And, and when we think about this topic of salvation, we have to ask questions like, like what are we saved from? What are we saved to? Uh, who are we even saved by? How are we saved? And, and I think when we talk about salvation, we can't leave out what is the value of salvation. I need to tell you right now that it has great value. It has value that, that has implications for our past, implications for our present, and definitely implications for our future. When we talk about being rescued, uh, when we're talking about being rescued or delivered from, when you look at this word salvation, um, in the Old Testament they would say saved. Usually around an event or a situation in the life of people that needed to be delivered or rescued from a, from a a situation I think about Moses, right? Moses, he delivered the people out of Egypt, out of the hands of captivity. And in that story, the word salvation is used, and you see it because he delivered them from oppression from this ruler called Pharaoh, from this government official Pharaoh. He was holding the people captive. And then when we look to the New Testament, and we see it as well. We see salvation being referred to as an event or a situation in which people are being released. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he opens up this brand new idea of salvation and turns it into a, a, a bigger idea, a bigger scope. He, he says it, it is about being released from captivity, but it's also about being delivered. It's not just an event or a scenario that happens physically in your life, but he says it's something spiritual as well. Now, in me and us, uh, through Jesus Christ, we can be delivered from the biggest problem we will ever face. Our biggest problem. What is our biggest problem? Our biggest problem is the same. It's the consequence of sin. 
That's our single biggest problem. You see, the Lord created us with this free will. He created us with free choice, and we all have the will or the choice. We can choose uh, to do things, and, and sometimes we choose things that go against Him. We have the ability to choose things that cause separation between us and Him. And there's major consequences to that. We can look around and then take a, a long look to see the brokenness in our world. And that's a result of sin. At the root of the brokenness that, that, that we live in today is sin. Every broken part of our world has the same root. And there's major consequences to sin. There's future consequences to sin. And there's present consequences to sin. Listen about the, the, the future consequences of sin. The, this is part of the message that's easy to miss if we don't slow down and take a good look at it. Um, it's, it's probably the most famous scripture in all of the Bible, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There's the future that he's talking about. The future consequence of our sin is complete separation from God. We will perish. The scripture often talks about destruction. And this is what sin does. It destroys. And there's this future consequence to our sin. And it is very, very real. But there's also a present consequence to our sin. Right? We experience it in our everyday life. Right? I mean, I'm around a lot of people, a lot of kids, all ages, college. And I still call them kids. Right? But, but I was in a situation this week where I was talking to somebody, and, and there were several of us in this group, and one of them told a lie, and everybody in the group knew it, and they knew it too, and you could watch it unfold. That ever happened to you? You know, you know what I mean? Like, 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 and you can feel that, and it affects everybody in the group. And, and so there's a present consequence to sin, uh, and, and we experience this. We do. We feel it in our everyday life, and it's a real, real thing. Sin are those things that we do that aren't godly. Those things that we do that cause separation between us and God. It hurts people. It hurts other people. Our pride. It hurts others. It hurts their identity. It hurts who they are in God. Uh, uh, but, but sin can also physically hurt people. Our sin hurts, hurts creation. It hurts our world. Our sin even hurts ourselves. What it does is it tricks us into believing that we're something that we're, that's not true. Um, sin's an ugly, ugly thing. And the Lord says, out of my great love, I want you to see this. I want to save, I want to save you from the consequences of sin. I want to deliver you from your biggest and greatest problem. And, and he gives us that offer. So if we are saved from sin, we are saved from perishing. If we are saved to a life uh, that, that, that is free from captivity of our sin. But what are we saved to? I love the fact that we're not just saved from something, but we're saved into something. It's wonderful news. Uh, a lot of times people think, well, I, and I get this, I, I don't want to give my life to Jesus because you know, I know what you're going to ask me to do. You're going to ask me to go to church, right? If I give my life to Jesus, you're going to want me to go to church. And for me to go to church, you don't understand, I've got to get up, got to get my kids ready, got to get uh, got to get motivated, got to get my coffee in me, got to go out, it's going to rain probably, you know, now I'm going to have to park down the street, walk up the road in the rain. I really don't want to do that. And if I come to church quite a bit, you're going to want me to join a small group. 
And then there goes my Wednesdays. You know, Lord of mercy. And that's the only two days I've got that we don't got baseball or something, you know. It's only two days we're at home or whatever. And, and I know you're going to do that. And if I start coming to that, I know that you're going to want me to join a work team and start volunteering around church or maybe take care of some kids on Sunday morning. I know that's what's going to happen. And to be honest with you, I really don't want to do that. Right? And for some, they're thinking, I don't want to come to Jesus because I don't want a list of things that I have to do or a list of things that I can no longer do. I don't want to be told what I can and cannot do. You know, that's what people are thinking. And you see, I think a lot of times, the things, people think that they're being saved into a religion. And that's not what it's about. Jesus said, I come to save you into a relationship. What if I told you today that you could be in a relationship with the God of the universe? The very one that spoke and all this happened. You can know him. What if I told you today that you could be set free from your sins and you can walk with God, not just in the future, but in your daily life? And I'm not even talking about the greatness of heaven. I'm talking about right now. You can walk with God. You can know Him. He reveals Himself to you. He gives you this power, this free gift of the Holy Spirit. And it comes through faith. And this is what it means to step into a relationship with Jesus. It's not a bunch of cannots. It's not even a bunch of have-tos. But we get to be part of something amazing. When we're saved, we're saved into a life of walking with God. We're saved into a relationship with the Lord. And we're saved into a revelation of His love and His grace and His mercy and His compassion that is poured out for us. When we're saved, we're saved into an understanding of knowing who we are as children of God, as, as a daughter or a son of the King. We're saved into that. When you're saved, you get a confident hope. A hope of your future. When you're saved, you're saved into a peace that passes all understanding. When you're saved, you're saved into the presence of God. Listen, when salvation comes to your house, you begin to hear from God. It's true. You begin hearing from God. Uh, when salvation comes to your home, uh, when, when you choose to make Jesus Lord of your life, you begin to feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit. When salvation comes to your home, when salvation comes to your heart, it's a gift from God. When salvation comes to your heart, you begin to move. You begin to see that he truly is alive. It's the most exciting, most thrilling, most adventurous life you could ever live. When you make this covenant and you say, Lord, I'm going to be and do and go wherever you send me to be and, and do and go. I'm going to do whatever it takes, Father, whenever, whenever you do that. When you surrender your life and your will over to him, it's the most exciting life you could ever have. And it's the only way you will ever be fulfilled. Everything else you chase is empty. Everything else you chase. You're never going to pile money up high enough. You're never going to have a big enough social status. You're never going to have a trophy case full enough. There's always going to be something else I need. And so you're always going to be feeling this, this emptiness. It's only when we fill ourselves with Jesus Christ that we can have this true fulfillment. Is it going to be easy? No. I don't want to lie. I mean, it's not going to be easy. If somebody told you that coming to Jesus is going to take away all your cares, all your worries, all your problems, going to wash away, they have lied to you. Because it's when you step on this battlefield that the arrows that Jared was talking about 
flaming arrows start to get intense and to get more intensified. And they're pointed on you, but when you surrender your life to Jesus, the rewards that you get from that are different. They're eternal. They're not temporary. They're eternal. So who are we saved by? Three quick stories from Scripture. I'm going to start in Acts 4, and this is a story of Peter and John. And they're called before this group of religious leaders. They're called the Sanhedrin. And they're called before them because they had healed this crippled man. This, and, and this group of leaders, they had some questions. They didn't understand it, and they, they had some questions about that. You can read that whole story in Acts chapter 4. But in the middle of this, they asked, By whose name did you heal this man? And, and Peter answers by saying, He is healed by the powerful name of Jesus. And this is what Peter says in verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Second story. How are we saved and who are we saved by? Acts chapter 16, there's a story of this jailer. Maybe you know this story. Paul and Silas are put in jail. They... They delivered this woman from demon possession, and the people there, they were not happy about it. So they threw them in jail and, and, and was, was really looking to do away with them. Uh, you, you can read that story there in Acts chapter 16. It's, it's really interesting. But, but in, in, while they're in jail, this earthquake happens, and it shakes so hard that the doors open of the prison. The jail cells, they open of the prison. And, and for a prisoner, you're like, hey, yeah, man, you know. But... but but, but it, it opens, and, and so the jailer, he rushes to the jail, and he's really worried about what he's going to find there because if the prisoners are gone, he is surely going to be put to death. And so he's scared, and he's nervous as he gets there, and, and you can imagine all of that and why. But Paul and Silas, as he gets there, they, they call out, and he says, Hey, we are, we are all here. And the jailer sees this as a miracle, and, and it's a miracle that really saves his life. And so he comes before Paul and Silas, and he says this. He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the reply, they say, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. He's saying, Listen, everyone in your house may have the opportunity to be saved through Jesus. Last story of this. Story of Jesus and, and a man named Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a hated man, but Jesus goes to his house. Uh, uh, he goes there, and, and Zacchaeus was, was a hated man because he was a tax collector. Uh, and, and I think if they collected taxes like this, we would hate them too, right? So you had to go cash your check, and you had to take the money and actually physically give it to them. Now it's kind of sneaky. They take it before you get it, and you don't really feel it, right? So... Uh, uh, so, so, you, so it's different. So you can imagine. And not only did he take the tax money, if you owed him 100 bucks, he'd take 150. 50 for me, 100 for them, right? And, and so that's how he become rich. And, 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 and he was hated. He would rob the people. And, and uh, uh, he was a sinner. But Jesus meets him, and he has a meal with him. And Zacchaeus, in the middle of this meal, he repents, and he turns to Jesus, and he believes in him, and he wants to pay back everything that he had done wrong. And then, and then this is what Jesus says. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. And I love that. I mean, I love that. Imagine Jesus just being at your house, and he's saying, hey, listen, today, salvation is here. Right? Salvation has come to this house. How did it come? he repented and turned to Jesus. This is where salvation comes from. It only comes through Jesus Christ. 
I love this quote by Martin Luther that I found. It says this, The life of Christianity consists of possessive pronouns. It's one thing to say Christ is a Savior. It's quite another to say He is my Savior and He is my Lord. The devil can say the first, but the true Christian alone can say the second. Who are we saved by? We are saved by Jesus. Who can be saved? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So how are we saved? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved. And this is important for us to know uh, because a lot of us battle this. I mean, I know this is one of my things right here. Because sometimes we think that it is by works that we are saved, but it is not. Not at all. It is only by grace that we can be saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, right? This is grace that is poured out from God onto your life. Uh, There's not anything you can do to ever earn it. There's not anything you can do to ever achieve it. It is only out of the love of God, the grace of God, that he is offering you this free gift of salvation. But he says, "For, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. So how are we saved? It is through faith. Right? So you start seeing this, uh, this armor of God lining up, right? But so it's through faith, believing and trusting in Jesus. We are not saved by our works, only the work of Jesus Christ, his finished work. Uh, we are saved when we trust in him. And so let's think about it this way. Imagine a couple who is getting married. Like it's not that day, but let's say it's a month beforehand or, or even whatever. Hopefully three things have happened before they go down the aisle, right? Hopefully there were emotions involved, you know? Hopefully there's a moment whenever they looked at each other and thought, man, right there, that's a beauty, you know? And they had this little, the heart beat a little different, uh, and then and, and, and they felt that. And then, and then whenever they're, they're dating or whatever at first, they think that person can do no wrong, right? Have you been there? I've been there, right? I'm still there on my anniversary. But, but there's, so there's emotions involved. But hopefully you don't make a decision to walk down an aisle just simply based on emotion. Because emotions are like seasons. They can change. There's highs. There's lows. There's things that are great. And there's things that are not so great, right? Uh, emotions are, are very fickle at times. And so there's a second thing that really needs to happen. It's where you engage your mind in this process. And uh, emotions are going, wow, this person's awesome. But we need to engage our mind into this process and ask a few questions. Try to figure it out, you know. Uh, uh, Is this the right person? You know, are we compatible? Do we believe in similar things? You know, are they uh, a person who has shown a level of commitment and trust? Are they a person of integrity? You know, just some of those things. Do they work hard, you know? uh, We have to engage our mind and answer those questions. But then there's a third thing that needs to happen. And there's these emotions, you know, and, and then the mind. But now there's a third thing, and it's our will. Uh, you have to go deeper. There has to be a deeper level that you can go through before you travel down that aisle. It can't just be, oh, I feel great about this person. We have a lot of hobbies in common, you know, or something, you know. Uh, or, or it can't be, it makes perfect sense why we should get married. I can show you on paper that it makes just perfect sense, you know? And, and so it has to be more than those two things. It needs to go to a deeper level. 
So you engage your will and you have to ask questions that are a lot deeper. Questions like this. Am I willing to give up everything for this relationship? Am I willing to make this the most important thing? Am I willing to change my life and become a new person because of this? Will I make this relationship my main motivation? Will I commit to love and to serve this person for the rest of my life? The strongest marriages are marriages that answer this question and they say yes. They say yes, I'm going to walk with this person for the rest of my life. Uh, Sometimes it's going to be really good and really fun and sometimes I'm just going to walk even when it's hard. The same comes true when it comes to salvation. We can't just trust an emotion. Even though emotions inform us, we can't just trust our mind. It makes perfect sense why we would want Jesus to save us. Right? But it has to be a decision and a commitment of our will. The Lord doesn't want people to just walk with them when they want to walk with them. He wants to walk with you through your hard times, through your good times, through, through every time of your life. We receive salvation through, through faith. And when salvation comes, there's great value to salvation. It covers your past, it covers your present, and it covers your future. It covers your past because Jesus did die for our sins. 2 Timothy says this, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior and Lord Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has saved us. And this is why on the cross Jesus says it is finished. Our sins have been forgiven. Our past separation has a solution, and it's Jesus Christ. But then there's also value right now in our present, in today, in every day, There's another sense in which we are being saved, right? 1 Corinthians, it says this. It talks about us being saved. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We are clay in the potter's hands, and he keeps molding and transforming us. Then there's this future value, because for for those of us who are saved, we will be with the Lord Forever, right? Romans 5, 9 says, Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We shall be saved. Maybe for you. Uh, uh, so in my studies, I've, I've done a lot of, like I've took theology classes all over the world. Um, and and uh, there's three basic terms, and I'm not going to get deep into the weeds of these, but there's three basic terms that really cover this that a lot of theologians use. And maybe you've heard of some of these, but it summarizes this gift of salvation. First, there is justification. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. It is finished, so this is talking about our past. Uh, when you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, forgive me, they are forgiven. Your past is clean, Right? Then there's sanctification. This is where we are being saved from the power of sin. This is a present work of the presence of Jesus Christ that is in our life. Um, And we are being transformed. We are being molded as we speak. And then finally there's glorification. And we will be saved from the presence of sin. That actually one day Jesus is going to come. 
and we're going to go be with him where, where, where there will be no more sin and there's ultimate victory. This is our future hope. This is the future. And we need that. We need that future hope because we are at war. We are at war. Paul talks about us putting on this helmet of salvation. And he uses this imagery of a helmet. And I want to give you two reasons and we'll close. I just don't want you to miss this. First, there's this. The helmet provides hope. The helmet provides hope. When we have the helmet of salvation on, we are reminded of who we are and who God is. We are reminded of our inheritance that lies in him. When I was younger, uh, I told you about my Uncle Mike riding his motorcycle. With me being 10 or 12 years old, I could not go without bothering that motorcycle, right? So there would be times I would go out and I would take the helmet off the motorcycle and I'd put it on. I'd ride my bicycle up and down the road. Uh, No ramp too big when I had the helmet on, right? I would come down the hill behind the ballpark with the helmet on because... That's what this helmet does for us. It it provides us a confident hope. I knew I could jump any ramp. I could go any speed. But as we put on the helmet of salvation, we had this same confident hope. It's in the security of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's with this helmet we can face life with a different approach. Because we know that no matter how hard or how bad life gets, and I promise there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble. We have the promise of a Savior who says, I will never leave you. And in that, I know who I am. I know who He is. The second thing is this. Why would we put it on? It protects our mind. I love that He chose to put these two things together. It protects our mind. Paul knew that the helmet was a very important piece of armor and that he knew it was going to protect the soldier's brain, the soldier's mind. So the Apostle Paul said, listen, this is how you need to guard yourself from the attack of the enemy. You need to guard yourself. You need to protect your mind. Salvation is not just a one-time event. It's not just a day on the calendar. It's a state of being. So as we put this helmet on, we're able to walk and to protect our mind from the things that Satan throws at us and tries to destroy us. The fact that I'm worth being saved tells me God loves me. The fact that I'm saved tells me God God, God says that that He is powerful. He has a power that's over sin. He can only save us if He can defeat it, and He's already defeated it. And so it tells me that He has a power and that He is loving. The fact that I'm saved tells me God's got a plan plan for me. Would he save me and throw me away? No. He saved me for a purpose. That's why I remind myself of these things. As I put on the helmet of salvation, I protect my mind because that's the enemy's first launch of attack. It's your thoughts. He tries to get you to think a certain way. He, he tries to get you to think a certain way about yourself. He tries to get you to think a certain way about the world. He tries to get you to think a certain way about even Jesus or God. He tries to get you to think different. He tries to get you to lose hope and to think that you're defeated. He knows if I can get control of your thoughts, if I can get, if I can do that, I can get control of your actions. If I got control of your actions, I can change their habits. And if I can change your habit, I can change your destiny. And he knows this. So Paul says, protect your mind. Once you put on this helmet, 
so you can renew your mind and you can think about the things that the Lord has for you. And so as you do that, you will be transformed into a brand new creation. So I'm going to close with this. Just a question. How do we put on the helmet of salvation? Maybe for you, this is the first time you've heard this and you feel the Lord moving and He's grabbing your heart and He's drawing you near to Him. He's calling you into Him. I'll tell you this, that in the first century when people would get baptized, as they were going and they were getting baptized, they would simply say, Jesus is Lord. And this is a cry for help. A cry to be rescued. Listen, I don't take this lightly. Because it's a cry for God to heal your past, to renew your present, and to give you hope for a future. And if you're looking for that, if you're looking for that, that's the offer. I mean, if you're looking for that, all you've got to do is say, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, I give you my life today. So Devin's going to sing this song. I don't know, we've never done it before today. But as he sings this song, I want you to know that this is a safe place, that there's people here who would love to pray with you and pray for you. There's a hope that's waiting. There's a hope that's waiting. And maybe maybe you've been on your journey for some time. But you need renewed hope. You need restored faith. You need something for today. There's people that will pray with you for that too. Because that is the invitation. The invitation is today salvation can come to your house. Father, I give you thanks for your son Jesus Christ for all that he's done for me, for all that he's done for us, for this hope that he provides, for this future that he, he, he promises us, how he says, I will never leave you. And, and in that, he means it. And so, Father, I pray right now that if there's somebody here who needs your touch, who needs your grace, who needs your mercy, who needs your 